0: Online at KFUO.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, we read through the book of Concord, our Lutheran Confession of Faith. And we have our cohort of Christ Confessing Concordians to help us gain understanding from what we read through. And to do that, we have layman Peter Slayton, social media manager for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, who's in studio with us today. And then we have Pastor Peter Ill, uh, who's the pastor at Trinity in Milstadt, Illinois. And he is coming to us from the other side of the river via the technology of the internet. Great to have you with us, Pastor Ill. Even though it's not really with us, we are, we're still (laughs) together. We're, we're still a cohort. We're
1: still in Concord, as they say.
0: Indeed, we are. And I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, lest I forget, and my cohort make fun of me. All right, we continue to make our way through... Can we just do that anyways? You can. It's okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. And we continue to make our way through the power and primacy of the Pope as uh, the document that we have been working through here in the Book of Concord. And we are entering into... We we, we had the, the show last week. Um, that uh, could have potentially been, you know, that, the
2: last show ever. Yeah,
0: that that show that <laughs> really got under the skin of some people. E- even though, I mean, a, a show where we talk about the Book of Concord is probably a um, self-selecting audience. Where not many <laughs> are, are are broadly listening to this. Um, but uh, one of our five listeners could have easily dropped off last yeah. week because we we talked about Pope. Antichrist, those sorts of issues, um, but we covered that all in one show, and it was a good show and um, and 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 definitely got in depth into it and so forth but now we 're going to continue to build that logical argument, so we 're moving on from that this week, and now um, having having said those potentially inflammatory words if you will um, that uh, could could really spark debate and certainly have in the political spheres even here in the united states and so forth and would have been very rough at that time of course at the time of the reformation now we're going to build on that argument and actually be bringing this document to a close as we look at the power and jurisdiction of the bishops so Uh, pastoral, I, I'm gonna throw this to you here in a second. So, so we have the, the pope who's the head supreme over the church, right? You know, we've, that's been the, the main focus of this document. Obviously, it's called the power and primacy of the pope, right? (laughs) But he's like the supreme bishop, if you will. And you've, you've highlighted for us very well on the show before how he's kind of traditionally the bishop of Rome, uh, is, is your, is your pope, right? And that's how that's developed over time. But now, now we get into the other bishops in the church as well, and part of that hierarchy and so forth. Um, so as we build this logical argument, then we're going to be talking about, you know, well, what is their power? If if the power that is ascribed to the office of the papacy um, isn't biblical, what they have claimed for themselves, well, then we're going to have to talk about the the power of the bishops kind of in a whole. So you you want to talk about that connection there at all pastoral?
1: Sure. The Roman Catholic Church did teach in the 1500s and still teaches uh, what we can talk about as a threefold office, that the office of the ministry is seen in three ways, in the office of deacon, in the office of elder or pastor or priest, and in the office of bishop. And they argue that there's three different levels or layers. And then Among the bishops, the Bishop of Rome is superior over all of the other bishops. And so they talk about a threefold office, but in the Lutheran Church, and here in the Treatise on the Power and Primacy of the Pope, we talk about a onefold office of the Ministry, all those who are called to, to proclaim Christ, do so faithfully. And so that's exactly what we're gonna do, is we're going to talk about um, all of those who are called as uh, into that office of the ministry and to talk about the gifts that they are bringing to the church by Christ's command as from Christ himself.
0: So you're saying I can call you Bishop Ill, Bishop of Milstadt, right?
1: I suppose Ooh. you could. Uh, However, that's probably going to confuse some of our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ. It's probably while going to confuse
2: tr- your own people too.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, while it's true, it may not be a great idea, if I can put it that way.
0: Right. But we do make that claim uh, in, in our confessions. I, I think we covered this in the small called articles as well right is that uh you know that that is the and, and it's going to come up again here um that uh that that is the office the one fold office as you've identified it and so even kind of historically with Martin Luther and certainly Melanchthon here as well that uh that that's what we have in mind is the bishops and and it's going to tie in here cuz we're going to talk about ordination and how you get pastors and things of that nature too so um yeah, just wanted to kinda clarify some of that language jumping in there, but I, I think you did a good job. How about we got a lot of material to cover here today, so <laughs> let's let's just dig into it by reading. All right. it. All right, so we are in the power and primacy of the Pope using the Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, the reader's edition of the Book of Concord available to you from Concordia Publishing House, the publishing arm of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And we are picking up with paragraph 60 of the power and primacy of the Pope, and the subheading here is the power and jurisdiction of bishops. So paragraph 60, the gospel assigns those who preside over churches the command to teach the gospel, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to forgive sins, John twenty twenty three, to administer the sacraments and also to exercise jurisdiction, i.e. the command to excommunicate those whose crimes are known and to absolve those who repent. Everyone who confesses, even our adversaries, that this power is common to all who preside over churches by divine right, whether they are called pastors, elders, or bishops— So Jerome explicitly teaches in the Apostolic Letters that all who preside over churches are both bishops and elders. He cites from Titus 1, verse 5 through 6, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might appoint elders in every town. Then the letter to Titus adds that a bishop must be the husband of one wife. Likewise, Peter and John call themselves elders or priests, 1 Peter 5, verse 1, and 2 John 1. Then Jerome adds, But afterward, one was chosen to be placed over the rest. This was done as a remedy for schism, lest each one by attracting a congregation to himself might tear apart the Church of Christ. For at Alexandria, from Mark the Evangelist to the bishops of Heracles and Dionysius, the elders always elected one from among themselves and placed him in a higher station calling him bishop, just as an army would make a commander for itself. The deacons, moreover, may elect from among themselves one whom they know to be active and name him archdeacon. For with the exception of ordination, what does the bishop have that the elder does not? Jerome, therefore, teaches that it is by human authority that the grades of bishop and elder or pastor are distinct. The content the content itself says this. Con- I'm sorry. Helps if you read properly here. <laughs> Words. The content itself says this, because the power is the same as he has said above. Later, only one thing made a distinction between bishops and pastors, namely ordination, for it was arranged that one bishop would ordain ministers in a number of churches. It goes on here, and, and I hesitate to pause here, but I think we've we've taken a chunk that we need to, again, as as. Pastor L was already jumping us into potentially we have some confusion even among ourselves here is i've often encountered you know that when i point out that scripture speaks of elder and that we can understand that as pastor uh... We have a different term and a different office within the church in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod when it comes to elder. And we also have a de- diaconate. Um, we have deacons in some churches and things like that. And we deaconesses and so forth. So let, let's clear this terminology up. So Layman Slayton, I'm going to throw it to you <laughs> to, to clear it up for us. Um, for for the layman, or or further confuse it, or further confuse it.
2: I, the the church body that I was in before I joined the LCMS what was a Lutheran church body, and the way they had organized themselves, the deacons are the equivalent of the LCMS elders, and so moving from one to the other was very confusing because in in that church body the deacon is does the exact same thing that our elders do, but they're called deacons and at it was very confusing. It's like, wait, what are we doing here? Which I think makes a good point that we need to be careful that we're not being too particular in the roles we ascribe to all these all of these different things because there is Christian freedom in how we're going to organize ourselves. I mean, that's what Jerome even says, look, this is how we as humans have decided to organize ourselves here. Um, we've chosen to call this position bishop over the other ones. It's, it's okay to do it differently so the the only downside was the confusion of oh okay well the deacon over there is now the elder over here and if i were moved from here to there same thing and our deacons are a totally different thing we actually have deacons in a sense and that's totally different from our elders that's not an interchangeable this is how we've chosen to organize ourselves so i think that's an important point that is actually being made here by melanchthon in this is that look there's there's freedom in how we are using these terms, and we need to make sure that we're not demanding that you use them in a particular way exclusively, and that any other use is wrong. Of course, there are wrong uses. You can't just say anything you want. Um, is that, I'm I'm forgetting what the original question was now.
0: Well, the <laughs> the goal was to help clarify all of this, but okay. but, but you make the point right that that obviously it does get quite confusing and and it would be really helpful, perhaps if and you see this throughout the confessions, you know this desire to maintain what is okay right right, so that we don't create this confusion yep and and i I often encounter this in the l c m s right you know they they there's this thinking that says we don't use the term bishop. Because that's too Roman Catholic,
2: right? I was actually going to mention that because it's, it's like a, right. we're scared of that one because of the connotations that come with it from except, outside. Ex- <laughs>
0: except that it's not actually right, and and other Lutheran church yeah. bodies will actually even use bishop, even ones that we're in fellowship with, like over in Germany, yet and so right. forth, will have those terms associated, and and yet we had a bishop, uh, Martin Stefan, the original head of the yeah. the immigrants that came over that had that term bishop and it's probably more because of what happened with Martin Stefan <laughs>
2: yeah our own uh, history is, as well uh, yeah
0: if you're not familiar with that history go check out Histori- Concordia Historical Institute or just do a Google search you can find out what happened or, with Martin Stefan or if you Stephan. have
2: a copy of the reader's edition of Walther's Law and Gospel mm-hmm. it actually starts with a fantastic you know quick history of the lcms which everyone should have a copy of walter's it's, Long a, it, Gospel it's anyway. really good yeah. um and it's a very nice overview and I, I read that and i'm like oh wow okay there's so much packed into this little you know biography and now i know a lot better what we're yeah. what we're dealing with here and and so just to get us back here too it's
0: probably more associated with what happened with him than it is um, you know Roman Catholic connotations for for that terminology and so forth. So, well, we so, do we do
2: actually still have one bishop in the LCMS. The English district has organized that themselves such that their that district correct. president yeah. actually does have the title of
0: bishop. That completely slipped my mind. You're, and the, and and yeah. they
2: have chosen to do that mm-hmm. as this is how we're going to organize. That's what we're going to do. And there it is. So Bishop Hardy is we we actually have a bishop. Right. And and so but it makes this point that again we
0: you know we haven't maintained these sorts of things and so that mm-hmm. there there is some discrepancy from church body to church body and within our own history and even within ourselves currently. And so there's just all this confusion with this terminology and I think you highlighted well for us. Look, Jerome is even getting at the point, and that's why Melanchthon cites it here. This is by human arrangement, all right. Let's right. let's not get all caught up in the divine authority stuff, which has been the point throughout the power and primacy of the Pope. Is look, you're ascribing too much to divine authority that God <laughs> has not said anything on, right? So, so let's let's lay that out as that part of that argument, all right? So, Pastor, Hill, uh, we we've talked enough here in the studio. You you want to help clear
2: this mess up for us? Yeah, we can't see you raising your hand to talk, so you just have to talk.
1: I did just raise my hand, but nobody saw it, but that's okay. Uh, Nonetheless, as we talk about this, and as we talk about this concern about uh, certain nomenclature, like Bishop being too Catholic, Walther himself came out and spoke very clearly that even when there is concern about this practice or that practice being too Catholic or too Roman Catholic, he said, that's our roots. And it's something that Walther himself spoke very clearly on. And while we do have some serious points of different confession with our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ, we similarly, though, have numerous points of agreement. However, this is where Melanchthon and Luther and the other reformers are very clear. This idea that Bishops are somehow over pastors and that bishops, uh, that one bishop is over all the other bishops doesn't mean that that is by divine authority and divine arrangement. Nowhere in scripture does it say the bishop who is at Rome is superior over the other bishops. And nowhere in scripture does it say that one pastor or one elder or one bishop is, is over any of the others that's human arrangement. Those human arrangements are fine, but when you begin to say, well, all authority flows from Jesus through the office of the Bishop of Rome or the office of the papacy, then to all of the other bishops and to all of the priests. And so it happens in this linear progression. You've you've gone beyond what scripture says. And that is our problem with the jurisdiction of bishops as it is identified here in In this portion of the book of concord today
2: i'm I'm going to say this very carefully, but I think it's reflecting on what you just said it's a helpful reminder as we're thinking through this that the concept the the church organization of having a pope is not in and of itself wrong. I have to say this very carefully <laughs> it's It's not that we say you know what any church body that has a pope is automatically wrong it's that the pope that position or automatically antichrist yeah it's that that position when it is given things that scripture does not give it is wrong and so here where we're discussing now the title of bishop we have the same problem there scripture actually uses the word bishop i believe that's a possible translation i'm not a greek guy (laughs) you guys are you tell me um it it is used and so it's a biblical term but one the problem that melanchthon is laying out here is but we have to make sure that the authority given to that office is actually the authority of scripture and when we look at scripture the authority given to that office is not exclusive to that office it's also given to elders and deacons and so we look at that and say hey these are all pastors this is a general term and okay now if we want to organize ourselves in such a way that we're going to create a hierarchy we can do that but as pastor ill said as long as we're not doing that and saying this is god ordained this is the only true way to do it or this is the biblical way to organize our church well that's when you run into problems i mean that this is what we've been discussing in this entire treatise most of these things we don't have a problem with having a pope we don't have a problem with having a bishop but stop giving them things that scripture doesn't give them <laughs> yeah where's the power and authority come from
0: right i mean that, that's what it boils down to and we yeah. we highlighted this really well especially in the small called articles as as this is a very much connected mm-hmm. document to that right is that all of this flows forth from the word from christ ultimately right mm-hmm. and and that's where the power is that's where the authority comes from christ through his word right and and that's the only authority that a pastor has insofar as he is faithfully proclaiming that word right and uh in administering the sacraments and so when when you start, I, I think as as Pastor L was saying, there you know, developing this this linear authority and you know things filtering down from the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, and on down and uh, into uh, you know the bishops and the priests and things like that. I mean, that's one of the central issues of the problem at the time of the Reformation is it was about church authority, you know, and and what they were saying as if it were on the same level as God's word and it just led to the whole host of errors that that didn't need to be rebuked and so we rebuked that with scripture right
2: mm-hmm.
0: also i'd like to highlight for us just as an aside here that we've already had two walther uh,
2: and you weren't well, the one to bring him up. I wasn't.
0: You know, my two <laughs> That's guests. That's kind that of frightening. You've trained as you well. You are finally getting the point of this show. We talk. We talk about CFW. I mean Jesus, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, but uh, but but excellent points that you made on both of those as well, right? And and I love. Uh, the citation of, of Pastor Pastoral, they're taking us back to what Walter's like. Look, th- those are our roots, right? And mm-hmm. so we don't abandon those things that are good. It's the things that are being wrongly taught that that yeah we can't abide by that, and that, that's what the Confessions make the point of again. It's and again. it's our
2: standard Lutheran move. Let's get rid of the things that aren't biblical, but let's keep the things that are. And so let let's be very careful and meticulous and methodical as we examine this and say, okay, well, part of this is biblical, let's keep that. We don't want to just say, you know what? This has been so badly abused throughout history, we're going to throw out everything and just start over. We, we don't want to do that.
0: Pastor, can you give us a few thoughts on, right, right at the end there I read, for it, it was arranged that one bishop would ordain ministers in a number of churches. Uh, what's in view there? How, how does the ordination process work? What, what are they responding to there?
1: there is a question that has arisen in the churches of the Augsburg Confession. And that also came up when the Lutherans came to America with CFW Walther of where do pastors get their authority? Do you need to have the authority of, say, the Bishop of Rome to make pastors? Can you hang a shingle and declare yourself to be a pastor? How is it that you get to have pastors? And the answer that's given here is that pastors come not by a a line of succession that goes all the way back to uh, the Bishop of Rome, ultimately to, to Peter would be the Roman Catholic argument, but rather And it's not by your own authority of saying, oh, well, I think I think I meet all of the requirements of the pastoral epistles in order to be a pastor. So I'm going to go hang a shingle and be a pastor and and create a church. And it's going to be the church that I'm in charge of. Instead, it is the congregation and the church as a whole and her pastors that call people to be pastors. And who ordain people to be pastors. And so instead of having people going around willy nilly and ordaining pastors, they said we should put one guy in each area in charge of ordaining and making new pastors. The is uh, by human arrangement. So he's going to make sure that each parish and each congregation has the opportunity to hear God's word. That's fabulous. But he doesn't have any additional authority in terms of uh, it's not that bishop's forgiveness that then is given uh, through the priest to the people. It's Jesus' forgiveness given in John 20 to the disciples uh, when he says to the disciples, to the church, whoever's sins you forgive, their sins are forgiven them. And whoever's sins you do not forgive, their sins are not forgiven them. That's what Jesus has said. And so it's by Jesus' authority, not by the bishop's authority, not by the bishop of Rome or the pope's authority, but just by Jesus' authority, as if Jesus were speaking to his Christians through the pastors of those churches.
0: Excellent setup there for us. And that's where we're going to go in the second half of this show, and because that's where we proceed forth from with this uh, uh, as we'll move on here is, you know, how, how do we get pastors then? And, and this has been referenced back in the Small Called article. So please join us right after this break for that.
2: Ecclesiastes 10 verse 10 states, If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. Find this true wisdom in Christ on Sharper Iron every weekday morning at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. Sharpen the iron of your faith together with two pastors as they take up the sword of the spirit to proclaim the gifts of Christ crucified and risen for you.
0: And welcome back to Concord Matters. And <laughs> I'm just falling apart here trying to run the board. Uh, we got multitasking. Back now. Yeah. Okay. Woo. Woo. I I will one day learn how to do my job. But as uh, we are back. We have our cohort of Christ confessing concordians, layman Peter Slayton, and Pastor Peter Ill. But let, let's just do a quick. This is bad, bad radio. We're,
2: we're both still here. We, are, did, are we you didn't here? leave during the break. I, I
0: see you as Pastor Ill still with That's us. A good I'm question. still here because oh. I could have hung up on him. I don't know what all these buttons do. I'm still learning, but we're good. All right, so let's get back in. Then how do how do we get pastors? Where's, where's the power in, in jurisdiction? Well, they're like
2: dwarves. They just spring up out of the ground. Well, surely.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, it's, it's got to no. be something magical. Tonight. If
1: your pastor springs up out of the ground, we have real problems. <laughs> I mean, and most pastors don't spring, in for what, the record. In what world, <laughs> I don't
0: spring. In what world do we get a Peter Ill become Pastor Peter Ill? I mean, how does how does that happen? If not by magic, that's a very magic.
1: alarming question. You're I mean, right.
0: <laughs> if it doesn't happen by magic, I just don't know how. I'm so, suddenly worried. Let's figure this out. <laughs> you should be layman All right, I, I should point out this is the second time we've been on the radio together today. I know. Yeah, yeah we were on this morning. Spent the morning on the together. Coffee hour. Yep. Yeah, it was it was a great day. All right, uh, let's about get back the evils in. of selfies. Yeah, yeah. And then somebody took one, as you were saying, that it's all about narcissism and right. looking at ourselves. And, and then somebody, multiple selfies you know, happened it, at that point. It was weird. It was an awkward moment. Yeah. But uh, getting back to the the Book of Concord, what we're here to discuss now, <laughs> not the evils of social media or the state of the synod, which is a reference to the article that you wrote for the Lutheran witness that you were talking about this morning, indeed. And then I was talking about how a pastor deliberates a call, which is kind of a connected issue. Mm-hmm. I almost wanted to go on with the show this morning, um, but I, I held off, and so we'll <laughs> talk about it now. Uh, but but you know, you can go listen to that archive. It was good good conversation this morning. But let's get back to this. because This is important. Picking up with paragraph 65 in The Power and Primacy of the Pope uh, under the the subheading The Power and Jurisdiction of the Bishops. And we're coming to the end of the document here. Uh, We won't finish it today, um, next week. But but today we want to find out where do these pastors come from. Since the grades of bishop and pastor are not different by divine authority, it is clear that ordination administered by a pastor in his own church is valid by divine law. Okay, Whoa. let's pause there for a minute. Whoa,
2: so, so so my pastor can just like go make a pastor? Yeah. Man. Anytime he wants, it's just like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go
0: I, make a pastor. Here, here's, here's my thought, right? I'm down in rural southern Illinois. I serve a dual parish. I get called up to hospital visits up here in St. Louis, hour and a half away, down to Cape Girardeau, mm-hmm. hour and 15 minutes away. And then, you know, over to Carbondale, about an hour away. I mean, I spend a lot of time on the road. I got sermons to write. I got people close there to visit, right? I could use some help. Now, they'll never be able to afford one. But what if I just went ahead and ordained an assistant pastor? Can I do that? I mean, the confessions say so. Straighten us out, Pastor Hill.
1: Can you? I just threw threw a whole mess
0: at you, dude.
1: Should (laughs) you? not under ordinary circumstances. And this is where, as we get ready to go on, paragraph 66 and 67 are really important because the charge that the Lutherans are making is, hey, you guys won't won't ordain pastors to serve as pastors. That's a problem. And if you're not going to ordain men who are qualified and men who are trained to be pastors here in these places, if you're going to leave these churches unserved, that's not okay we will ordain pastors by Jesus' authority. However, it is not a good idea for a church simply to say we're going to ordain a guy as a pastor because he meets the requirements that are given in the pastoral epistles and because we think he'd be good at it without checking that with the whole church. And so on the one hand, does the local congregation have the authority to call anybody they want to who's qualified to be a pastor yes on the other hand does the whole church have the opportunity to say hey yeah this guy speaks with the rest of us and not only is he going to be a representation of the local church, but he's going to be a representation of the whole church. And so that's why at ordinations and installations, you have both the congregation who's receiving a pastor there hearing and giving their promises, but you also have the other pastors uh, gathered around saying, yeah, this guy, he's one of, he's one of us. Uh, there's both preachers and hearers saying, this guy is qualified for the office and this person is appropriate within the church to serve as pastor. It's not done just willy nilly one person at a time. Oh, where where you pastor Smith would say, Oh, I think this guy would be a good pastor. So I'm going to pick him. I'm going to make him my assistant pastor so that uh, when I'm on the road, he can do some other things. Uh, It can be done, but it's not a good idea.
0: And, and And you've highlighted that well and and you've you said a few times, you know yeah, he's with us, and to me that reflects exactly uh what happened with Paul right in the early church. Um, is that you know he he was a very special circumstance in being called directly by Christ literally knocked off his horse right and the scales over the eyes and things like that but then the the rest of the church acknowledged that right with Peter and they say yeah he's with us he's he's proclaiming the truth right and so um i like how you've highlighted that th- that's that's an important aspect and we're going to get to that in, in the coming paragraphs as well um but you you've also opened up something here um that you can do it and and you you brought up the idea that especially in the context of the time of the reformation that they were not doing this could you talk a little bit more about that why would they not be ordaining pastors and leaving congregations without pastors at that time
1: what's the historical context of that The bishops in the Roman Catholic Church realized that the churches around Wittenberg and the churches where the Lutherans were wanted pastors who would do Lutheran things. And they said, well, we can't give you a Lutheran pastor because we're against that, but we can't send you one of our guys to be pastor because you won't take him. And so they were just leaving those congregations empty. The the evangelical churches or the Lutheran churches were saying, hey, here's the guy that that should be pastor here. Please ordain him. And the bishops would say, no, we won't ordain him. So, so the church went without the gifts of God until the reformers said, well, if we've asked and you won't do it and you won't send someone here to be a faithful pastor, then we will ordain him by the authority of Christ because it's not, given in scripture that you have to be a bishop in order to ordain someone. That's a human arrangement. And ultimately, that human arrangement is done by the authority of Jesus himself. And so a pastor is Jesus's pastor, not the bishop's pastor. And if the Roman Catholic bishop's aren't going to give us faithful pastors here in our areas, then we will make sure that we have faithful pastors.
0: And I, I think that's an important historical context that's going to be needed for us moving forward too. So thank you for highlighting that. And I also, I think, um, well, go ahead, Pastor, sorry.
1: This is also, I think it's really important to be clear, this is an exceptional case. This is not a time when, when the Lutherans would encourage, if you think somebody should be a pastor, just go make them a pastor and and sort it out later. This is something to be done with prayer, with the word of God, with careful instruction and formation. And it doesn't go off half cocked. This is something that's really uh, thoughtfully done and carefully done by the reformers. And it's not any kind of trying to get around the process of forming pastors. These people who were called and ordained to be pastors had been through university and seminary education and had received a call to be pastors. They just wouldn't be ordained by the bishops. So this isn't a quick, fast and dirty workaround. So
0: so you're trying to nicely say, no, Pastor Sean, just because you're (laughs) tired— It's not an exceptional case. You can't make your own pastor. Okay. All right. Yeah, I got pretty you.
1: much. Sorry.
0: That's okay. No, well, this, but that's well stated what this, you're saying.
1: This fits
2: the pattern that we see in so many other things in the life of the church. And and I'll frame it in this way. We are never the church alone. I'm not the church all by myself. I'm the church I'm part of the church with others. And that's not just others in my congregation. It's other congregations. That our church together. So in this scenario for Pastor Sean just to go and ordain, okay, yeah, you could, but as Pastor Ill is saying, but you're also part of the church. And the body of Christ, the arm doesn't say, I'm going to go do whatever I want. And the leg's like, no, I'm going to walk over here. I don't care what you want to do, head, just to mix my metaphor all completely up. But it, that makes the point. You you can't be operating that way. We do the same thing in baptism. I, I could baptize my kids. And I could say the words, and it's a valid baptism because it's actually God's word that does the work. The Holy Spirit works. Same the thing at ordination. Same same thing at ordination. Same thing at the Lord's Supper. But why would I do that? It's it's not been given to me. I'm not a lone ranger Christian where I can just do whatever I want. I'm part of the body of Christ, and the body of Christ has given that authority two pastors and said, You are our representatives. We want you to do this for us. And in those situations, once again, unless it's an extreme case, no, I I wouldn't be doing any of those things. I wouldn't be just ordaining everyone. Interestingly, we mentioned the the history of the LCMS and coming over here. When this whole thing happened with Martin Stefan, this was a huge not not debate, that's not the right word, but concern. Because now you had all these. It was an actual debate. Well, there there was a debate, but it was a debate arising out of uh oh, are we even church anymore? We just sent our bishop across the river in a boat. We have no bishop. We have no authority. Our authority came because we came with our bishop from Saxony. We had the whole succession thing there. It was everything was in right order, and now we've sent the guy packing across the river. We have no head. What do we do? How do we figure out if we're even church anymore? Because we've just left everything behind, put all of our eggs into this basket, and now the basket broke. What What do we do? And It's a lot of metaphors. I know. I'm just mixing them all <laughs> over the place today. It's great. Um, and so you, you get to this very situation. Okay, how do we get a pastor then? And I... I would expect that this was probably one of the places they looked in addition to scripture. They looked at this and said, well, are, are we kind of like that situation? Is our situation similar to that one? Are we a congregation? Can we rightly call from within our midst? Do we have men who are qualified, who are prepared, who who can do this for us? Okay, well, let's have that conversation. But they didn't do it alone. They did it together with the whole population said, okay, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do?
0: And and I like what both of you have highlighted there, too, for us, especially as we understand we call ourselves the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, synod meaning walking together in a common confession and practice, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and for me, that highlights, just on a very practical level, the the real unfortunate thing that would happen if i were to and and we've had this problem in our synod i'm not going to speak to specifics um but uh, we've had this problem at different points in, in our synod where these sorts of things have happened in kind of a lone ranger kind of example and so forth and and the problem then becomes is well that's not recognized by the rest of the churches that we say we're walking together with, right? Mm-hmm. You know. So so I ordain some guy and start calling him pastor in my congregation. Well, you know, a pastor can receive a call to another congregation, which is what I talked about this morning <laughs> on the coffee hour, right? Well, how does that work if, you know, I've ordained him, but the rest of the church body doesn't recognize that. And, mm-hmm. and what training has he had? And can we vouch for that? And, and it just creates a whole lot of uncertainty and especially for people in the pews. And, and that was the real issue that was going on in the early part of the Lutheran church was there as well was, you know, you've got the lay people sitting in the pews. How do I have the certainty that I am hearing God's word from this person? right? Mm-hmm. And of course, we, we go back to you, you exercise right discernment on what you're hearing. You got to know scripture and check it against that and all those sorts of things. But I mean, it's creates so much uncertainty where we want to have great certainty in the word and sacraments um why why create this mess and so let's 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 agree upon these things walk together in these things and it actually promotes a, a stronger church body of christians walking together and and real unity in that sense our, our true unity is always found in christ and his word right he mm-hmm. he is the head of the church um the the metaphor that you brought in you know the, the the idea of martin stefan and we said oh we lost our head well we didn't see <laughs> right. and, that, and that was what we came down with. christ is the head of the church and, and so he holds our the unity of the body together um but uh yeah it, it just it, it becomes a real mess and so even more than you know what we highlighted earlier you know it, it's just not good for for um for my sake uh and where i'm serving and so forth it's not good for the the larger body of mm-hmm. of congregations that we walk together with right in this yeah. in the synod so absolutely okay all right now we've got a lot more to get into here so i'm going to continue reading picking up paragraph 66 on the power and primacy of the pope therefore when the regular bishops become enemies of the church or on Unwilling to administer ordination, the churches retain their own right to ordain their own ministers. So Pastor L was highlighting that, why they were unwilling and so forth. Uh, good to have that context for this. Moving on, paragraph 67. Wherever the church is, there is the authority to administer the gospel. Therefore, it is necessary for the church to retain the authority to call, elect, and ordain ministers. This authority is a gift that in reality is given to the church. No human power. Can take this gift away from the church, as Paul testifies to the Ephesians when he ascended, he gave gifts to men ephesians four eight he lists among the gifts especially or specifically belonging to the church, pastors and teachers. He says that in ephesians four eleven and adds that they are given for the ministry for building up the body of Christ, ephesians four verse twelve so wherever there is a true church, and you know, just because we're on radio, you can't see the, the T in true and C in church are capitalized here. So there's something significant going on with this true church. We'll come back to that in a second. The right to elect and ordain ministers, ministers necessarily exists. In the same way, in a case of necessity, even a layman absolves and becomes the minister and pastor of another. Augustine tells the story of two Christians in a ship. One of whom was baptized, the catechumen. One of whom baptized the catechumen. I'm having problems reading today. One of whom baptized the catechumen, who after baptism then absolved the baptizer. Here belong the statements of Christ that testify that the keys have been given to the church and not merely to certain persons where two or three are gathered in my name, Matthew 18, 20. All right, we're going to go ahead and pause there. All right, so what's going on here? Why why, why highlight the true church uh, or, or make it significant with these capital letters and so forth? What's what's going on? What is the true church, Pastoral? Did we lose Pastoral?
1: Nope, here I am. Okay. <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> Sorry. Sorry. The true church is where the word of Christ is proclaimed and believed and where he is present with his sacraments, especially baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so we get to have that promise that where Jesus is, is the true church. That's the simplest answer is the true church is where Jesus is. It's where Jesus comes to proclaim his word and to be the head and so we live in that church and we hear the voice of jesus speaking to us through those pastors that he has put in place
0: so that that's the point that that takes us back to where i was reading there in 67 as well right wherever the church is there is the authority to administer the gospel so what does that mean when it comes to this how we get pastors then
1: Those pastors come from the times when the church simply calls a pastor and says, Hey, this person is qualified according to the commands given in Holy Scripture. And we call this person to be our pastor, not flippantly, not lightly, but doing it completely and totally um, in accordance with God's word so that we get to hear that true teaching of the gospel.
2: I, th- I think part of the, the capitalization of true church here is also a, a bit of a polemic move on the part of Melanchthon because he is intentionally making the point that the Lutherans are also part of the true church. It is not simply Rome and those who proceed from Rome because the Lutherans now are more becoming more and more distinct, more and more separate. He is making the point that, look, we are also part of The true church. This this body of Christ supersedes the Roman Catholic Church. And there are actually quite a few of us groups that are part of it, not just Rome and those who submit to the papal authority, which which is an excellent point to make. Right. Because.
0: And and we should maybe back up here for a second, too, right? And to say it's capitalized in our English translation of this. I don't know in the Latin and German, you know, how they even handle that. I I just don't know, right? Right. Um, But. you know in our english it, it is making it is capitalized to make that very distinction right mm-hmm. is that the, this this is the true unity of the church this is the the true identity of the church maybe is what what i'm really looking to say here right and so that that is what we're connected with and that supersedes the 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 human arrangements that we organize for ourselves and everything else and so when we have this issue where the roman catholic church is taking a look at the lutheran churches the evangelical churches and saying well you're not the real church anymore right and and that creates the whole situation of the augsburg confession and everything else where we're defending no we really are right see mm-hmm. because we teach this from scripture and everything else and we and we've highlighted that many times on the show right it's it's again another uh, polemic is that what you you use yes. there yes. Uh, to 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 highlight right this this is this is our true identity this is where we're coming from this is what we're doing right yep all right uh let's move forward because we got we got more ground to cover and and limited time to do it in finally peter's statement also confirms this you are a royal priesthood first peter 2 verse 9 these words apply to the true church which certainly has the right to elect and ordain ministers since it alone has the priesthood a most common custom of the church also testifies to this. Formerly, the people elected pastors and bishops, Acts 14, verse 23. Then came a bishop, either of that church or a neighboring one, who confirmed the one elected by the laying on of hands, first Timothy 4, verse 14. Ordination was nothing else than such a ratification. Afterward, new ceremonies were added, many of which Dionysus describes. But he is a recent and fictitious author, Whoever he be, just as the writings of Clement also are spurious. Then more modern writers added, I give you the power to sacrifice for the living and the dead. This is not even in Dionysus. From all of this, it is clear that the church retains the right to elect and ordain ministers. The impiety and tyranny of bishops cause schism and discord. Therefore, if the bishops are heretics, Or will not ordain suitable persons, the churches are in duty bound before God, according to divine law, to ordain for themselves pastors and ministers, even though this is now called an irregularity or schism. It should be known that the godless doctrine and tyranny of bishops is chargeable with it. Paul commands that bishops who teach and defend a godless doctrine and godless services should be considered a curse. Galatians 1 verse 7 through 9. We have spoken of ordination, which alone, as Jerome says, distinguish bishops from other elders. There is no need to discuss the other duties of bishops. It is not necessary to speak about confirmation or the consecration of bells, nor other such delusions, which are almost the only things they have kept. Something though must be said about jurisdiction, and that's what we're going to cover next week. All right, so <laughs> so come back for the jurisdiction. So something
2: but, must be said later. Yes, yeah. not now.
0: Melanchthon always has something to say, as we learned from the very lengthy. And now apology. he's doing
2: cliffhangers. Well, or, I'm doing the. Or cliffhanger. We're turning it into I mean, me. okay. Yeah, wow. I'm turning
0: it into a cliffhanger because I got to get two shows out
2: of nice. this. Nice. Yeah. 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 Dramatic tension. Right. I, I like it. All right.
0: But let, let's go ahead and finish out this thought then. All right. So now we get Melanchthon getting with the salty language in here again, right? And, and, uh, it's tyrannical what those bishops are doing, uh, godless doctrines and godless services. We've, we've had some of that come up before, especially with the con, uh, conversation with the Antichrist, uh, section that we covered last week. And so what's going on here, Pastor
2: Pastoreal has a Sorry, delay. I keep
1: losing my mute button. <laughs> I found it again. Where'd it go? Faster. I, Melanchthon is appropriately saying, if you won't give us pastors, Christ has given us the church the pastoral office. If you won't fill that pastoral office, if you want to be schismatic, if you want to drive divisions into the church, if you want to damage the church's Concord, then we will have pastors because having pastors is a right of the church. It's not something that you get to hold on to and simply exert your authority over. This is something that we have the right to do. Not that we're taking this lightly, not that we're doing this without deep thought, without care and concern. The Reformers were very careful and very clear about the authority that they were using and about their process in raising up these pastors. But if they wouldn't be able to have pastors given to them, then they would ordain pastors not because they were trying just to show the bishops who was boss, but rather to say it is the church's right to have pastors. In fact, if you won't give us pastors, it is our responsibility to raise up pastors for ourselves properly, carefully, faithfully. But at the end of the day, we are here as the church and Christ speaks through the pastoral office and we want to hear. Christ through the pastoral office.
2: So Melanchthon here is referencing this Dionysius and Clement. Now I've heard of Clement. I'm assuming that this is a different Clement here, but it's interesting. He's saying, is is he saying that, look, this Dionysius guy, you're using him. You're quoting him as a church father to give authority for you to do what you're doing. Um, But we don't even know if this guy is real or if he even exists Um, We're not sure who actually wrote those things. And then there's this Clement guy who also said some weird things. And oh, by the way, there were later additions to what he said, so we're not even sure about that. Is is this one of those sections where Melanchthon's saying, look, once again, you've based your doctrine and practice not on Scripture, but on these possibly not even real church fathers? Is that what we have going on here?
0: Not... Not entirely. Okay. Uh, Can of worms here with two minutes left. Thanks. Layman's layman Slayton. But uh, so Dionysus here. So the, in, in the back of the Reader's Edition, I've I referenced this before on the show. It's, it's really helpful. We have this Persons and Groups Index, right? You, you can look up these folks. And uh, just very briefly, Dionysus, there's actually two listed in the back here. And it's probably in reference to Dionysius the Great, who was from 190 to 264. And he was Bishop of Alexandria, pupil of origin, uh, who was a church father and so forth. So, I mean, there's, there's some... There's some authority given to him, as he was Bishop of Alexandria and a pupil of origin, a very influential uh early church father there right but again the the point is. Is is more to to what you were you were getting at there? And sorry, I was flipping pages, so I, di- I didn't actually listen to you entirely. I think you got it at this, but uh, the, the the more uh, the issue there is is that you know is he citing from scripture? Is he citing from Jesus himself? Is he is he speaking true biblical doctrine here, or is he just you know writing off the cuff because he's writing to his current context? And and we still see this go on in the church today, right? Where we 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 just cite so and so because they. Said this and maybe they are influential and somebody of significance but who are they right It's kind of the the backhanded you know whoever he be right you know it's, yeah you know who are they uh, you know what what is the true authority well it's the word right mm-hmm. and christ himself so so what where is he getting that from where is that authority coming from right right all right pastor i'll go ahead and with a few seconds here go ahead and give us uh, some concluding thoughts on this section today
1: Christ has given pastors to his church. And as Christ has given pastors to his church, those pastors speak not because of the authority of whoever made them pastors and whoever ordained them, but they speak with the authority given by Jesus when he spoke to the church in the upper room, Easter night, uh, giving them that jurisdiction. And they go forward with the authority given to the whole church when Jesus commanded the church saying, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. This is exactly the work of the pastoral office, and so this is exactly where the church gets to hear the goodness of Jesus.
0: That is very well said, and this will also have implications not only for how we get pastors, how we make pastors, but the jurisdiction and you know that that 's kind of more what we might think of in terms of power, especially uh, temporal power earth uh, secular power, which has also been highlighted in here, but you 'll have to come back next week for that until we convene for Concord next time if you would like a question for us. Uh, You can contact us at 314-996-1542. You can find us on social media at KFUO Radio or email KFUO at KFUO.org. For this time, that wraps us up with the cohort of Christ Confessing Concordians. And until next time, keep confessing, church.